appreciate the talent here at Gospel Light, folks using it for the Lord. Well, I'd like you to take your Bibles tonight and find, if you will, the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter number 2. Find that place, if you will, tonight. Ecclesiastes chapter number two. Ecclesiastes really just simply means the preacher. That's what the term means. It goes back to the, uh, it's a Hebrew word, which we, have, we know more by the, the Greek word ecclesia, where we get the word church from. And so this is the preacher talking to the congregation. And uh, the preacher is not really in a good place, spiritually speaking, because he's looking at life, what life is like without God. Solomon is going on a pursuit trying to find meaning in life. And as we're discovering, we discovered very quickly, we only got through one chapter, is that life without God is really a waste of time. It's, it's empty and vain, and everything we build, we leave behind. The book of Revelation teaches us that when we die, that our works do follow us. And don't forget that. Your works follow you to the other side. What you do for Christ will be made available and the people we win to Christ will be there on the other side. Now what Psalm is doing in chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes, uh, the light shines more directly on Solomon's purpose for this study that he's doing about life. And really what it is, it's about the satisfaction in the human heart. And, and everybody and most human beings are trying to find satisfaction in something. What is it that's going to Make me happy. Uh, you know, I, I met people and they say, you know, Pastor, if I can just find the right girl, if I can just find the right guy, I, I would never, ever be unhappy again. And, and I'm sorry. You want to find the right person, but my friend, the, uh, the human beings are human beings, and, and, they, they do, and God blessed us with all those relationships. But again, if that's it, then you're going to be sadly disappointed because you're going to find out that you will have an unhappy day after you meet the person you love. So by this time, Solomon was a king. He's an author. He's a songwriter. He's a lecturer. He's a politician. He's a military strategist. He's an economics, but he's also a botanist. He's a horticulturist. He's a zoologist, and he's a biologist. Solomon was a well-rounded individual in all those things. And when we think of Solomon and the realm of all that he knew and all that he did, uh, in the realm of the arts and even in the sciences, Solomon was a master of both. I guarantee if we could take Solomon and put him in front of some of the minds today, Solomon's wisdom would baffle some of the, the geniuses that we have on TV trying to lecture us about certain things. Because they lecture us about, you know, there's no God. And Solomon can tell you, well, there is a God and, and, and how God created and made all things. This is not just chance, my friend. You believe in chance uh, that somehow out of chaos comes order. I just took my garden out the other day. My garden was put in in pristine condition. No, not one weed, and everything was perfect in that garden. But when I tore it out the other day, it was an absolute disaster with weeds growing everywhere. We don't get chaos and then order. We have order and then comes chaos. God, when he created his creation, it was 
very good. And then from there we have the chaos that has ensued. Now when we think about Solomon here, the ultimate quest would, as you're looking for is to give mankind answers to life and to, to the difficult questions. For instance, what is the secret to true joy? What's the, what's the answer to total permanent satisfaction in life? Where are those answers? What are they? And men have looked, and, and no one has found anything to come up with. The crowning achievement of Solomon's life would be to find the answer to this question, and that's what he's doing. He's, what is the answer to this question? By the way, we think that's new to us. But again, in Solomon's day, they were asking those questions. What, what purpose? What meaning is this? Where, where can we find true satisfaction that's going to make us happy? Men come to power, and, and very few men go to power where they don't get involved in, in decadence. From a president to everywhere else, they, they all become decadent. I mean, even like a man like Hitler, at the end of his life, his brain was racked and he was diseased from his immoral and godless lifestyle and he was taking every drug on planet earth to remove the pain. The man was an absolute drug addict zombie near the end of his life, yet he's still running a country. But he, he, in his pursuit of power, he tried to find pleasure and he couldn't find it. And that goes with all the emperors and dictators and everybody here on planet earth. And Solomon is, what is the, the answer? And, and it was his mission to discover the, this this elusive treasure. Renee and I on vacation a few years ago went down to St. Augustine, one of America's oldest cities. And, uh, and there we went to where Ponce de Leon, the, the explorer, was searching through Florida trying to find what? The fountain of youth. And my wife and I drank from the fountain of youth. We paid $5, I think, to drink from the fountain of youth and it tasted like mud. It was it, the fountain of youth is nasty tasting, and it must have worked on her. And I probably didn't drink enough. I had to go back and get it, pay another five bucks because I'm getting old and falling apart, and she's still staying young looking. So, but my friend, even old Ponce de Leon down there, looking for that magical fountain of youth, and could not find it. And of course, there is no such thing as a fountain of youth. It's men's insanity and dreams. But hope maybe in the new world there's this fountain. And by the way, if, all you had to do is look around at the. The, uh, the, the Indians that occupied that land and, and they were all drinking out of those waters. You think they're all growing old, so he would maybe, doesn't work on Indians, he just works on Europeans. And no, there's no such thing. There's no such thing. So the Seminoles couldn't find it. Ponce de Leon couldn't find it. And today men are, again, just take these pills and, and you'll stay younger. Just do this and you'll look younger. You'll feel younger. And everything's all these potions, pills, and things to try to make you look younger. And, and of course, you can and really just leave yourself alone, eat right, and do, live a good, healthy life, and you'll go, grow old gracefully. Solomon, again, had expected the hunt to begin and to end with wisdom. After all, wisdom was what he and many others in the world valued most. And, and God offered him whatever he wanted. And this newly crowned king, when he was first king, requested what from God? He wanted wisdom. And God was pleased with that, that he asked for wisdom on the top of Kearney High School. It's engraved in stone, dedicated to those who seek wisdom. We always found that amusing. But that was up there, dedicated to, because I never knew what it 
very few people who were dedicated, maybe Brianna, but who were in Carney High School dedicated to, to seek wisdom. We were dedicated to try and get out of that place uh, as quickly as possible in the four years that we were there. In verse number 1, Solomon makes this state, I said in mine heart, go to now, I will prove thee with mirth. Therefore enjoy pleasure, and behold, this also is in vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of mirth, what doeth it? I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was in good for the sons of men, which they should do under under heaven all the days of their life. Solomon went in a search of entertainment there in verse number 2, which in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with entertainment. There's bad entertainment. There's good entertainment. But the teachers soon learned some hard lessons about it, and Solomon said at the end, it's really foolishness because you laughed, you had a good time, and then you went back to reality, and you had to deal with your life. Again, there's nothing wrong with having a good time. Nothing wrong with enjoying the things of life, but if that's where you're hoping to find it, you're going to be disappointed. When Solomon said it was foolish, he used a word that's really quite surprising. The word is H-A-L-A-L, halal. And its, its meaning is determined by whatever it describes. For instance, when it's used with something that is unworthy, as it is here with pleasure, it meant to boast foolishly or to make a show of. And so Solomon discovered the truth about pleasure and entertainment and the fleshly fulfillment ends of it, of enjoyment, quickly wear off. They quickly wear off. They don't last. We can look back on fun times in our lives. That was a great day. That was a fun time. I really looked forward. That was good days, and I enjoyed that. We had a fun time, but they do wear off. And he asked this rhetorical question. He says, what does pleasure accomplish? What, 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 what is it doing here? And the answer to that question is, is nothing of permanent value. Nothing of permanent value. Its accomplishments are nothing of permanent value. It produces no lasting satisfaction. And he realized that he was foolish for devoting himself to it. And that's kind of a wisdom thing to realize, you know what, I'm, I'm looking for something and and, uh, and in the end, I realized I, I kind of wasted my time doing that. It didn't provide what I thought it was going to provide. It's left me empty and vain. And, and so he's, he's, uh, wisdom is helping him here to understand what, what, what he's going through. He talks in verse number 3 about how Solomon experimented in indulging in wine. And the king fell for one of Satan's oldest and most enslaving tricks, believing Pleasure can be enhanced with the help of substance, such as alcohol and drugs. And again, you don't need those things to have a good time. They're not going to enhance your enjoyment. If people would understand that alcohol really is a depressant, it's a depressant. It may make you happy for a few minutes, but at the end of the night, most people are depressed with what the product is producing in you. It doesn't produce this happiness. I need, I need wine to enhance this moment. No, you need God to enhance the moment. And, and, and you need to just enjoy the moment for what the, the moment is and what God gave you and with who you're with and, and not to have a substance to help you. And we live in a drug-crazed culture, both illegal and legal, 
all hoping that this is going to help them to find some happiness and meaning in life. And Solomon realized, no, this is not it. And he, he fell for one of Satan's tricks. And, and he goes on this, this venture with wine, actual alcohol. The king himself, who would write in Proverbs that it's not for kings to drink wine, and yet the king is now drinking wine. Solomon didn't always listen to his own wisdom. So we ought to learn from Solomon's wisdom that, you know, the, the king messed up. Now, I wouldn't say he was a drunkard. He was not falling down and was not an addict, but he was hoping that somehow that wine would enhance that moment and increase his pleasure and make the, it more enjoyable with whatever he was doing at that moment in time. And he, he said, no, it, it, it's not. It doesn't do that. Solomon wrote a lot about wine in Proverbs where he said, wine is a mocker. It's a mocker. Wine mocks you. Strong drink is raging. What's, what, what a strong drink is raging? It means it, like a, a sea on the ocean. When we were on vacation a few weeks ago, we dropped Ethan off at, Evan off, I'm sorry. We did drop Ethan off at college once, but we dropped Evan off at college this time. And, uh, and we went on a, a couple of days and, and we were laying in the ocean. And I was just out there in the ocean all day, just basically laying on the water. It was so calm. It was so beautiful and, and so nice and so clear. And, uh, and they, somebody said, well, enjoy it because the storm's coming. I'm like, I didn't know anything about a storm. There's a hurricane coming up the gulf. And so we got out of there before the hurricane. But that calm sea where I was laying on, I was glass, and in a 24-hour period would turn into a raging storm where the waves would be crashing upon the coast. And, and my friend, that's what strong drink is. What's strong drink? Well, your vodkas and your whiskeys and, and all that other foolishness that men engage in hoping that this is something going to enhance the evening and make the evening better. And, and, and we're going to have a good time tonight. You know, the old commercials from years ago, you know, it's the Miller High Life and, and all these things promoting alcohol, never showing the disaster, never showing the drunks, and never showing the, the, the car wrecks or the, the kids home starving and, 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 and the family being evicted because the, the money was not there. It's always the happy time in the bar. And everybody enjoy, and then drink responsibly. There's no such thing as drinking responsibly. You want to drink responsibly, don't drink it at all. That's the responsible thing to do. And Solomon's saying this is vanity, it's vain. And Solomon expected wine to make him feel better, to cheer him up, to help him forget his problems. And remember, with his increased knowledge came increased sorrow. And like others throughout the ages, Solomon hoped to do what? To drown his sorrows. And no man on planet earth has ever been able to drown his sorrows with alcohol. You just cannot. It's an impossibility. All you do is destroy your brain and, 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 and ruin what little talent and ability you may possess to begin with. Solomon tried to actually embrace folly, a foolish, frivolous lifestyle through drunkenness and sensual indulgence. And we know Solomon had uh, over 700 wise 400 concubines the man had women at his beck and call and yet at the end of the day did they help solomon did they provide the the joy that he thought that you know people think that if i can just boy I, no it doesn't it does not the possibility that pleasure could bring fulfillment he craved he therefore he sought to enhance this pleasure with a substance and men are still doing the same thing today, trying to enhance their pleasure with substance, and, and, and it will not work. 
And Solomon makes this surprising statement while he's embracing wine and he's indulging in these fleshly pleasures. He, he was being guided by his wisdom. And the wisest man, however, he was deceiving himself. He was too self-confident. Scripture warns us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 12, where he says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Solomon was so confident in his power to resist temptation that he did not consider the possibility that his flesh might overpower his mind and will. It's always, a, be, be, be fearful. You ought to have a fear of addiction. Addiction should frighten you. Because it, 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 with all your wisdom, yet we've had some of the greatest minds on planet Earth be enslaved by addiction of some form or another. And, and it ruined them. The great minds that could think, that could reason, and, can, and, and could do things that we marvel on. And yet they, they were enslaved to something. And so how wise were they? Always be fearful of something that... Listen, again, I may have never been that, that A-plus student in school, but I watched my friends destroying themselves. I watched my friends doing things. And they said, Matt, why don't you try this? Matt, why don't you do it with us? And I said, you know, I, I've seen what it's done to family members. And I've seen what it's doing to you guys. And I see how you guys are addicted and need this. And, and, I, and I don't need that. I don't need that in my life. And I can't afford that habit to begin with. <laughs> Why would, I, why, why would I start something I can't afford to begin with? Sin makes no sense, does it not? Who's buying the lottery tickets? Who's buying the cigarettes there in, in, in the convenience stores? Let me tell you, it's not the, the Trumps and the Rockefellers of the world, but it's the, the people who could least afford those things are buying their cigarettes, buying their little, little bottles of, of uh, whatever, those little travel bottles and buying those or getting some other bottle there in the store and, and when their money could go towards helping them to improve their lifestyle improving them to get a better place to live and to uh, better their education but no they're spending that money on a product that's really not going to help them at the end of the day foolishness foolishness and if they'd only read the bible they would find out that it's foolishness that the wisest man who ever lived is letting you know, stop, don't, don't, don't go down this path. It's dangerous. He wanted to see what good or worthwhile for people to do. He, and again, tragically, millions have fallen into the trap of alcohol or substance abuse. For every dollar they make in alcohol sales, they spend $2 trying to rehab somebody. And we're losing money in this thing. And our country is filled with drunkards. So Solomon discovers that wine did not hold the key to the satisfaction of life. It did not solve life's problems. Oh, you can go there to the store and people can tell you all about, you know, you, you, how, you, how you're supposed to drink wine. And, and there is a process to all that. You just don't dump it in a glass. This isn't a Coca-Cola. And they tell you, oh, you got to pour it slowly, let it breathe, and then twirl it, and, 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 and check the legs of the wine, and they're looking, and, and, and then they sip it gently. And listen, at the end, of the, the, the whole goal with that whole thing is to get drunk. Just to get drunk. That's the, the whole goal in all of that. Now, pleasure had failed to fill the hole in Solomon's soul, so 
Still, he would not give up the search, and there were far more things to explore and things to, to look at. Let me give you a thought here. Again, pleasure is a very, very powerful thing. Men crave pleasure. And we look for it in all types of places. And the number of people who have fallen in pursuit of it are, are immeasurable. We cannot begin to fathom. And this is even true even in the ministry where we see ministers have fallen in pursuit of pleasure. Men of God who have sacrificed everything on, on, on the altar of pleasure. And again, as a preacher, I need to be careful of things. You need to be careful of things. Men, it's a temptation with preachers. If we can just get a bigger building and more people, then I'll be happy in my ministry. And yet preachers are not happy when they build bigger and better because they're looking in the wrong place. And there's more when the building, when a place gets bigger and the congregation becomes more, then the burdens become more and there's more responsibility and more things and, 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 and more weight upon a man's shoulder. I'm not saying we shouldn't grow, but I'm simply saying that with these things comes more responsibilities. But we think this will provide the pleasure in my life. And it does not. It does not. Pleasure can be a poisonous potion. And, it, and it's sweet to taste, but it's deadly in its effect. And God tells us there is pleasure in sin, but what? But what, 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 but what? For a what? Season. For a season. There's pleasure, but it's for a season. My favorite season has just ended. I love the summer season. I know some of you are happy now. You're in your favorite season, the fall season. You're all running around the streets with your pumpkin spice stuff and sweaters and they're all happy and excited and it's, you know, it's yay. And God bless you, Miss Alicia's back there. She's in full swing back there and she's got a bunch of groupies with her and she's, they're all pumpkin spiced out. And God bless you, it's, it's a wonderful thing that we can have pumpkins and, and the, I love the fall, I do love the fall. I love it a lot. The only thing that bothers me with fall is I know what comes next. <laughs> Winter and then snow and shoveling snow and, and, the, and well, Christmas, yes. I, Christmas is wonderful. But uh, when we hit January, once we get January 20th, the January 19th is pretty cool, but once we get to January 20th, <laughs> it's, it's, it's all downhill from there. It's just cold and gray. And, and if I think about January in my mind, you know, the, I get a picture. I, I picture colors in my mind for certain months. And, and January, a gray color comes to my mind for January. That's just me. So you don't find pleasure? No, some people do. They're looking forward to the skiing and sleigh riding and, uh, and, and whatever. Or sitting in their house watching everybody else work and shovel the snow while they sit in the house and, and sip cocoa and, and, and everything else. But my friend, at the end of the day, be careful of pleasure. That you, that's not the end game of everything in your life. The Bible tells us Again, the verse we read previously another time, it says, and he says, And that which fell among thorns are they which they have heard and go forth and are choked with the cares and the riches and what? The pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. Luke 8, verse number 14. Jesus warned us about the seed that goes on ground, and the seed that goes on ground may be, it, it, the people, it doesn't take soil because there a person's heart is totally with the pursuit of pleasure. 
What pleasure? I don't have time for God. I don't have time for the Bible. I don't have time for my soul. I have to find pleasure. Where is the, the most pleasure at? Men go from club to club. This is the popular club this week, and then that winds down. Then this is the popular this is the popular restaurant, and then this is the popular and it, it, it never never brings happiness. So as we continue looking at Solomon here, we have to be careful that the more we feed that, the more the appetite grows. It, it does, it's not satisfied. I mean, you ever have an itch and you scratch it? And sometimes that itch, when you scratch it, you just disturbed it. And then you got to scratch it again. And scratch it. Next thing up, the next twenty minutes until you get a, some uh, some lotion or something to put on it to help them anti-itch medicine. But man, this I just aggravated this thing. Now it's itching like crazy. Well, that's how it is. Just a little pleasure here, a little more, just a little bit more, just a little bit, and it's never satisfied. Never, never satisfied. Entertainment is very powerful. It's an effective drug. Satan uses entertainment like a tool and people go home and sit in front of their TV for hours just zoned in on what that box has to say or what their tablet has to say or what their phone has to say it's in the, this phones are addictive and what are we on there for because we're looking for something that's going to provide pleasure if I can just get enough likes on social media, I'll be happy. If I can get more friends on, if I can get more people following me on social media, if I can get more attention on social media, if more people know me, if I have more followers, if I can just have a something go viral that makes me famous, then then I, I can finally be happy. But then it never satisfies, and that thing can turn. And one minute you're the star of the show, and the next minute they're they're tearing you to shreds and wanting to kill you. The Internet's a Strange and dangerous place out there on those social media sites. But Satan used it because he knows it's an effective drug. And it may seem to soothe the pains of life in a sin-cursed world, and it may provide some relief. But again, like all medications, what happens? They wear off. They wear off. And we find ourselves, I need, an I need another one. I need more. Again, there's nothing wrong with medication when you need it for something that's seriously wrong with you. I, I'll guarantee you I'm going to have my knee replaced. I, 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 I'm probably going to be in pain. I'm going to take pain medication. I'll take it responsibly. I take it carefully. But at the end of the day, the pain medicine wears off. And you can feel it starting to wear off. It's starting to throb. I can feel the pain coming back. What am I going to do? I'm going to take another painkiller. And then... Eventually that wears off. You wake up in the middle of the night, ow. I need, well, it's not time for the next pill. You get, you get four more hours. Well, I'm in pain now. Well, can I say that's how pleasure is? It wears off. I need another dose. I need another fix. And Solomon's warning us here about these things. And again, God, let me help you with this. God did not design people for a life of entertainment. We are not designed for a life of entertainment. What did God design us for? To work. That's what God... Before man sinned, 
God put Adam in the garden to do what? To work. And what are we looking to get out of? Work. Work. The, 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 the communist senator from Vermont, who's a multimillionaire and owns three mansions because of capitalism, uh, wants to go to a four-day work week. And everybody's like, yeah, four days. More? We want a three-day weekend now so we can do pleasure all weekend. For three days, we can just get drunk all, week, all three days now. And just work four days. Maybe we'll work four 10-hour days or something. God did not design us for pleasure. We are designed, built, and wired for work. And when we go against what God designed us for, okay, some, some things are built for certain things. And, and, and if you take your nice car and you take it off-road, I'm going to go four-wheeling here with my, with my Toyota Sienna minivan. I'm going to take it in the outback and I'm going to do some four-wheel. How long will the Sienna last in the outback? Not very long because why? It's not built for the outback. It's built for the kids and, and cruising down the highway. And, uh, and that's all it's done, meant for. It's not meant to go off-road. Other vehicles are meant for off-road. My friend, God did not design you to go off-road. He designed you to work. And we don't like work. We hate work. We, we, we despise it. We, we, we get, try to look how early we can get out of it. And I know men who retired at 50, and, and, and by 51, what are they looking to do? I've got to get a job. I've got to find something to do. And yet when they're 25, they're thinking, man, I've got this job. I'm going to retire at 50. You know, they, they wanted me to be a police officer at 20. They're like, Matt, we, you can join the force here in town and we'll get you on. And, and, and listen, by 50, you'll be done. And you'll be making all this money. You'll have a pension and everything else. I said, no, I'm not going to join the police force. They said, why not? I said, one, I already got a job. And number two, I'm in the ministry. And if I'm on the police force, it's going to hinder me from ministry. Oh, you can just do it when you can, but you're going to make money. And I, Listen, I'm 59. I would have been retired nine years ago. And my wife would be in diamonds and minks and, and, and lavished with all kinds of lifestyle right now and, and, and spoiled rotten. Amen, sweetheart? More so than she already is. The woman's already spoiled and, and treated lap of love. Amen, sweetheart? There she is. But here I am working at 59. I'm going to work till I die. I want to, I want, I I want to die with my boots on. I'm going to go out with my boots on. God expects people to work. How many days did God tell men to work? Six. And then on the seventh day, then a man can do what? Relax. What do men want to do today? Make work maybe one day and then play the six days. Again, there's not a, not a thing here where we say, you know, he didn't say take, you can't take a vacation. Even Jesus told his disciples, let us go into this desert place and do what? Rest a while. We all need downtime. We all need moments to get away and relax and enjoy things. But again, entertainment can be addictive because it, it leads only to the desire for what? More entertainment. The effect of entertainment diminishes with the overuse. What once made us happy here, I can be happy just doing this. Now I need this. You can give a kid a swing in the backyard and that swing will make him happy. And then you give him the jungle gym. And oh man, 
is after he leaves the jungle gym, does he want to go back to the one swing? No, nah, no, nah, I need a, can we, can we get a tree house and the jungle gym and, and, and it just keeps growing. And that's how we are. That's how we are. Aim, entertainment really produces little, if anything, of eternal value. God designed entertainment to give us a break from our daily duties so we can be refreshed and return to our work with renewed vigor. That's really what it's for. So again, entertainment's not bad. God never says, don't entertain yourself. No, that would be foolish. God gave us many avenues to, of, of pleasure and entertainment. But he says, don't expect that to be the end game. Those things are meant to, to, to relax you and renew your strength so that you can get back to doing your work again. And God designed entertainment to enable people to continue laboring for what is eternally significant as for what is temporarily necessary. And again, we all, as human beings, need some form of entertainment, some form of enjoyment, something that will bring us happiness and we can take pleasure in. I know people who on their day off, they just like to sit and read all day. I couldn't read all day. That's just not what I But they find entertainment in that. That, that, that helps them. Other people do other things. Again, doing that for that day off is, is nothing wrong, but it's, it's gearing you up to, to get back to what God designed you to do. And again, our Lord shows us how to enjoy the pleasures of life. People of his day were attracted to our Savior. They, he was, he was the, the draw. Everybody went to him. There was something different about him, yet there was something ordinary about him as well. I think Jesus enjoyed life. And nothing wrong with enjoying life. I, I don't like people who are always miserable. Everything's bad. I talked about this morning. No, it's not, it's not all bad. It's, it's a lot of good stuff. I'm happy about a lot of things. I enjoy my grandkids. I enjoy my time with them. I also enjoy leaving them. <laughs> okay, that's done with that. I'm about worn out. And uh, let's get in the car and, and, and relax because you can only take. I'm not, I'm not that young anymore. But I enjoy that. There are other things I enjoy, but I, I couldn't do it all the time. Our Savior, he, he laughed. I think he, he injected humor into his teaching. He, he, he radiated the, the abundant life that he had came to impart to us. He, I've come that you may have life. What's that mean? I have life in Jesus. That's so wonderful. I have a good life. I have a good life. He gave, he, my Savior gave me life. And enjoy it. The Bible tells us that a man should rejoice with the wife of his what? Youth. There's pleasure in there. And to rejoice in that time. And, and, and so God wants us to enjoy life. But only within the limitation of his word, because when we get out of that, then that's when the problems arise. And life can be enjoyed within the boundaries that God has given to us. It's not necessary to climb over the fence into the playground of sin in order to have a good time. And yet, often men will do that. And, and, and the fences that God builds us around us, by the way, are not to restrict us, but to, to protect us from what's harmful. I remember our neighbor had a backyard, and, uh, and we, they had a, the fence. It was a, about a three-and-a-half-foot fence. And on a metal fence, the, what do you call them, chain-linked fence, you have the top of it where they, they come together, and, and then on the bottom are the points. 
And the points on the bottom are to prevent critters from, well, whoever put this fence in put it upside down. And so the points were up top. So it looked like, we, it looked like our backyard looked like a concentration camp with this fence with the points up top. And I remember one time our dog was a puppy, and she tried jumping over the fence, and she couldn't make it, and she landed on top of those points. And I remember my dad coming over, picking up the dog, and popping her off the fence and, and rushing her to the vet, and she was fine. Then my dad was building a clubhouse one day in the backyard for us and up on the tree, and my friend David and I were sitting there. We were probably five years old, and the, the railing was not up yet, and David and I were sitting there on the, on the edge of that, and we're laughing at some pigeons of all things, and, and David laughed so hard he fell over and landed on top of that fence just like our dog did. And David was laying there bent over on top of that fence, and my father ran over and popped David off the fence, and and they took David to the hospital, and David to this day probably has several little puncture wounds in his belly. He was fine. He, nothing seriously happened to him, but it's just enough to break the skin and cause a problem. You say, why are you telling us those horrible stories, preacher? Well, my father later on went with wire clippers, and he cut the top of He clipped all those things off the top of the, our neighbor's fence. He didn't ask permission. My father was not the type of man to ask my permission <laughs> for anything. If it bothered him, and you had it, it was going. And, uh, and everybody was afraid of my father, and so nobody did anything. Someday I'll have to tell you more about my dad. Now, <laughs> sometimes I wish I could be more like him, but uh, God built me like my mother in many ways, and I'm just wired like her. So, why are you telling us that story, preacher? Well, my friend, that, that fence was there for a reason, and, and, uh, but when we tried to get over it, we find ourselves getting hung up on it and, and caught on it. And God put the fence there for a reason because he said, you know, it may look entertaining over there, but bad things can happen to you over there. Stay here. It's good here. I blessed you here. It's pleasurable here. You have your pleasure. You got your work. Just stay here. Stop looking because if you hop over the fence that I put up, you're going to find out. It's, it, it, you get hung up and Satan's going to destroy you over there. So God wants us to enjoy life, but within the limitations that he's put up for us. Now, in, in Psalm 119, he says, I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. You see, when we seek the word of God and his precepts or his laws, there's liberty there. We have freedom. And in the place God puts us, there's freedom to enjoy and to do things. When we disobey God's word to experience pleasure, enjoyment, and, and, and laughter, we find only for the night. And when morning comes, our laughter turns to tears that flow to many sorrowful days. And many people have sold themselves into some sin only to wake up in the morning with a, with a bag full of regrets. What did I do last night? Well, what decisions did I make when I was under the influence of alcohol or something else in my life? What, what rotten, horrible thing did I do that I've got to live with the rest of my days now? We should never experiment with anything that God commands us to avoid. I was watching a video one time, and a guy was trying to tell you about snakes. You see this snake here, and, and, if, and if, the, if the stripes are going diagonal with the, with the southeast wind to the north corner, that's a poisonous snake. But if the, if the, the stripes are going southward with the southeast, and listen, I don't, I'm not hanging around to check out the stripes. I'm getting away from the crazy thing. Or I'm getting a stick and going to beat it to death. And, and, or, but I'm not hanging around the snake to find out, are you a good snake or a bad snake? 
No, I'm, this is not what I'm doing. We wands. I'm, that's not what I'm doing here. Some of you may get the reference, but anyway. I don't want to be around the snake. By the way, Hawaii doesn't have one snake on that island, amen? There's not a snake in Hawaii. It's a wonderful place. You to, there's no snakes here? How's that even possible? I'm like, oh, this is paradise. So when we mess around with things and, and, and do something that God says avoid, we're going to have problems. Don't experiment with what God says to stay away from. Satan is a master at helping us to deceive ourselves. And be careful, again, we can deceive ourselves. When we do things that God forbids, we are really an unwise person. I know God said don't, but I... Well, think about that for a minute. Can we back up a little bit? God, infinite, omniscient, says no. You, finite, and, and, and don't know what clothes to put on in the morning are going to argue with God. Somehow you know better than God. Somehow you figured it out. No. The only way to guarantee that we will never become addicted to sinful behavior, whether immorality, substance abuse, alcohol, or any other evil, is to never take the first step. Don't ever do it to begin with. Just stay away from it. My, my, my mother hated alcohol. She despised alcohol with a passion. Her father was an alcoholic, and they, and they lived in an alcoholic's home, and they would have starved to death were it not for her grandfather, who provided shelter, homes, and everything else. But her, her father would always be in Dorn's Tavern down the street here, or in another place called the Mousetrap down here on Davis Ave. They're both gone by the grace of God. But uh, she always called the, the Mousetrap the Rat Trap, and Dorn's was down the street here on Schuyler Ave. And, and my grandfather would spend every dime he had buying everybody a drink in that bar and being everybody's friend and everybody's buddy and, and spending the family's money and while, while he had a wife and, and three children home uh, going without and, and having to live off the, their grandfather's money that he brought home and he struggled to keep that roof over their head during a Great Depression and, and to feed them and clothe them with the with meager means they had. She despised alcohol and she would not want it and did not want us drinking it. And she drummed that into my head as a boy. And by the grace of God, I, we, we, I listened. I said, don't do this. This is, it's bad. And the first time I ever tasted alcohol, I was like, what is the attraction to this in the first place? It's like drinking gasoline. Hard, smooth. There's nothing smooth about it. It's, it's, a, it's a horrible tasting. It's horrible tasting. You've got to deceive yourself and, and then burn your taste buds to finally convince yourself that it's, but you're addicted to it. That's why you think you like it. You know, you drink a glass of wine. What is it? The, the legs and the aroma. And you take like you're drinking rotten grapes. It's rotten. That's what it is. It's rotten. nice body. And I have a glass of wine with my with my spaghetti here tonight. I'm using the Chablis and the this is rotten grapes. The Bible says that we are to abstain from all appearances of evil. Amen. And if it's wrong and looks bad, stay away from it. Don't go near it. Avoid it like the plague. Cross the street. Do whatever it takes to stay away from it. But don't mess around with it because, again, you may find yourself being pulled in. And, and, and by the way, we all, if you're, 
if you've been around long enough, you, you know the pull, what that pull feels like. You've, you've, you've been around something, you've, you know, this is, this is kind of nice, and you find that you're being tugged in. I remember one time my kids, another swimming story. This is not the Bahamas story, so I want to bore Ethan and Sarah with this Bahamas story. They love that one, though. But I remember one time watching uh, Mabe and Ethan out there, and I'm like, where's he going? And he kept going further and further out. And I was like, was that, was that you? Could be. <laughs> it's like, and he was getting pulled further out into the ocean. We had to go get him and pull him in. But there's currents out there. My friend, the water's pleasurable. And it's fun. But next thing you know, you find yourself getting tugged into it. And, and you don't have the strength to get out of it. And you pray that somebody will come and help you and pull you out of it. And sin's the same way. And Solomon, although we just read a few verses here tonight, Solomon is letting us know, we'll go very, we'll, we'll move faster, I promise you, that Solomon is letting us know the, the vanity that's in these things. And stop looking to them for the, the end all and the pleasure in life. Have the Lord. Know Him and enjoy the things you do have in life and, and the simple pleasures of life that God has given to you. Let's stand together for prayer. Father, we do thank you tonight for your goodness and mercy. We thank you for Christ who loved us and died for us. Lord, we've been warned from Scripture through Solomon about pleasures and the, the addictions of them all. And I pray, Lord, you help us to steer clear of these things and realize, Lord, our, our lives does not revolve around entertainment, but they are just temporary things to provide mere moments of pleasure and then to get back to the business of life and doing what you